Episode of Dragging the Line Podcast, the show that gives you different lifestyles and views. I'm your host with the most, one more Sanchez, alongside Polly G, who's live from the SC. What up, fam? Hey, what's good with you, cousin? I'm back again. We are here. I am alive, my friend. Uh, just a quick update there uh, from the last episode. I tested positive for coronavirus. Yes, sir. Ooh. Yeah, we uh, you know, we were quit. We've, we've been careful, and I know what y'all thinking out there. Everybody out there is saying, "Oh, well, you went out and you know, on New on New Year's, and so did I. So did I. You know, we we did. We went out on New Year's all year. We were good. We never left the house. We cleaned everything. My wife would wipe everything down when all the groceries was coming. I mean, it was it was locked down as far as antiseptic around here. So. But it wasn't from that. I caught it sometime in South Carolina because we did back tracing for where my symptoms were. And I caught it probably between the 5th and the uh, 8th of January. Uh, last couple of weeks here, you know, just been not even really sick to per se, just more like having the flu. The only symptom is the taste coming in and out and the almost like body aches, you know, aching almost like waves. So I'd be just sitting here fine walking around and then bam, I get hit with this wave of just laziness. And I mean, I'm lazy anyway, but you know, I just get hit with this. Uh, I don't know, like your body wants to shut down type. It's one of the weirdest sicknesses I've ever gone through. Um, thankfully, thank God, or thank whoever is up on high. You know, I had all the kids here. I thought at first that Stella maybe had brought it from her mom's place or whatever, but she didn't because she was actually negative. So all the kids tested negative. My wife tested negative, except for Demi. We didn't test Demi, but everybody was negative. I was the only one that tested positive. Can you believe that? The only one. So um, now it's, here we are. It's that walk you did the other day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I told Jesse. Uh, people out there from when I uh, was walking, I think it was like almost like three miles from where we're at in Savannah. The kids are fine now. They're good. We're on day third. No, we're on day 11 of quarantine so that's good kids are fine i'm getting better now uh the family looked out and you know bought us groceries and stuff thank you renee mom uh you know rob is my brother-in-law uh, my brother called and made sure i was good which was good my dad called you know which you know i never called but he was actually you know making sure that we were all right so uh day 14 is coming up man and i'm ready so ready to get back to work lost two weeks of work so hopefully it won't happen again because if so Oh, Lord, I might be put on the streets because so that's my story and I stick to it. Other than that, what else you been up to? Uh, nothing much, man. Doing a lot of, uh, you know, prepping, a lot of stuff going for this guest we're about to have. And just wanted to let everybody know out there that this is a good get. Jesse, I'm proud of you, man. Like you, Jesse's been putting in work and uh, this is a good guest. So uh, why don't you tell us, uh, Jesse, what's going on and who we got coming up? What a powerful story for our guest today. We have John Estin, a former state prisoner who was sentenced for 150 years for a nonviolent crime. Mm -hmm. And uh, he actually was able to take his case to the Supreme Court and he actually won. Now, when we talk about this for real, at first, I was like, this doesn't seem real. Uh, but mm -hmm. as, as we get to talk to him and with their social media and everything, we were able to see and witness. And it's just one of these stories that 
I, I was just shocked when I came across it. Yeah, and uh, you sent me the links and all of the stuff that uh, we have on him. It was pretty. Uh, it was a pretty fascinating story, man. It is just something that you know that you see. I think it was uh, featured on a Dateline, one of the sister Dateline shows. Uh, okay, it was Dateline. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and and it's something that you know I, I I've been real excited. We've had this guy booked. Uh, for quite some time so i think he's been out now for two years maybe three years but uh we're just going to get to know him uh, we're going to ask him questions some hard questions like we tell all our guests if there's anything you don't want let us know um so as soon as he pops on we're just going to hit record and just let it fly but i'm real excited about this one yeah and then what's even more amazing is his story so once you touch base on it more he currently right now is a founder of a nonprofit called e e second win and this nonprofit actually was created for opportunities for ex-con and military veterans so i mean it went it's one of those stories that he got a second chance in life and so to to have people like this everyday people actually him be able to come out on the other side is what we're all about yeah man I, i'm definitely excited as well Coming up next, we got our special guest. After this quick break, Polly G, ride us out. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one. Doctor, everything will be all right. You had a tough weekend with the uh, with your team losing this weekend. Oh, <laughs> you had to ask that. Huh? <laughs> hey, I'm a Vikings fan, so it wasn't good for us at all either. And then that's Paul right here. I think he just came on. Yeah, how you, how you doing? doing? Good. How about yourself? Now, do you prefer John or Mr. Esteen? How do you prefer? Well, it doesn't matter, sir. <laughs> all right. It's good to see you. How are you? John is fine. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. How you been? Uh, I've been fine. Yeah. You know, can't complain. I hear you. I hear yes, you. Yeah. How y'all been, man? Y'all been okay? Yeah. We uh we kind of glad we got the opportunity. You know, we were just talking about the notes that we threw and what you and I talked about, and mm-hmm. the right. story's amazing. You know, it's almost it's almost surreal. Yes. And at the end of the day, the the story that you're going to share with everybody, I think mm-hmm. that it's a big, good platform to have, especially what I don't want to get too much away, but what steps right. you're going to take next. But right. th- this is going to be a good platform for me, and, and again for being Appreciate on the show. That. So. Yeah. yeah. We've been doing a lot of uh, research on you, man, and. It uh, kind of feels like I kind of know you in some way. So just yeah. reading about your story, all the platforms that we've seen, everything, all the articles, uh, uh, you know, I just want you to be comfortable and make sure that your story gets out there the way you want to tell it. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's good. That's awesome. All right, Perfect. All right. Well, mm-hmm. I kind of want to start off with, tell us a little bit about just a quick preview about your story and where you're at now. Just mm-hmm. an introduction of yourself. Okay. Okay. I grew up in Seven Water, New Orleans. Come from a single parent home up to like eight years old that I know of. I really didn't really meet my dad until my early teens. I have two younger sisters that I grew up with. My mom met my stepdad and he moves from New Orleans to the West Bank of New Orleans, which is Avondale, Louisiana. That was, I was nine years old at the time. That's when I became having like a stable household at, at this point. There, that's when I got interested in sports. Yeah, t- and, tell us uh, a little bit about that. I hear you're big, uh, you like, you were into boxing, football, and basketball, right? Yes, I, that's what I did, you know, coming in at that time, in that era, you know, everybody, uh, that was our pastime. We loved to play, pick up football in the streets and, Mm-hmm. Go to the gym, play basketball. I mean, boxing. I was boxing since I was 14 years old. Uh, Avondale Boxing Club. We traveled a little bit with the boxing team, have fun. 
And I really enjoyed my childhood life. I, I really had a good childhood. I grew, I grew up in a middle class neighborhood, predominantly. It was a predominantly. I say it was a mixed neighborhood. Okay. I was saying, say no. It was, it was a mixed neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> mixed. And, um, <laughs> what, what year was this? I'm say uh, I had to be uh, so I was nine years old at this time point nineteen, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so it had to be like in seventy seven seventy eight. Okay, I guess you know I'm born in sixty eight, so I'm about yeah, so around that time. So I'm really getting a feel for people and getting because I come from I come from a, uh, on New Orleans. My mom had moved to. New Orleans East and miss you. It was like, hello, Bayou there. We used to go through the woods back there and we used mm-hmm. and catch little snapping turtles and stuff like that. I'm kind of a nature boy, you know? Yeah. yeah. My mom would do that too, you know? She saw every animal just about in her backyard because I brought them there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're a Bayou man, a Bayou man. Yeah, I'm Bayou man. There we go. There we go. Yeah, I, like I, give it. That, I give that credit to my grandfather because my grandfather was a trapper by trade. Also, he did a little gambling. And he always took us crabbing, fishing on the bayou. So I kind of grew up, you know, in that manner. Really, I, love, I still love that. I still love eating seafood and stuff like that. But you're, you're in the right place, you know. <laughs> that's that's where y'all got yeah. it at. <laughs> now, what uh, what was middle school, high school? What was that like, a uh, little, little synopsis there? Like, how did you get through um, with all that? Actually, a lot of people don't know this, even the guys I grew up with, that I felt I was kept back in first grade. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's not that I didn't know the lesson or anything. Mm-hmm. I knew my lesson. I just couldn't understand why I would put an answer to a, math, a mathematical equation mm-hmm. to the next spot rather than putting the spot that it belonged to. At that time, so that's first grade, so they really wasn't too familiar with um uh, dyslexia. That's what I, I had have a that. problem with dyslexia. My mm-hmm. I, my eyes would see one thing, my hands would do another. I wasn't coordinated. Mm-hmm. It wasn't coordinated with one another. Mm-hmm. So um they found out towards the end of my school year and it was too late for me to pass the next grade because I, I failed everything. I couldn't you know, I had a problem. Uh, they wanted me to wear glasses. My mom would tell me today, I don't remember this, but she said, I refuse to wear glasses, mm. you know. But they put me, I remember special ed. I remember um these little putting blocks and stuff. They tell me put in certain areas and stuff like that to work mm. on my coordination. So from that point forward, I had no problem with school anymore. So that was beneficial to me. But as I go to, I went to many schools because mm-hmm. mom moving and I remember like we prior to going to um, first grade, we lived in Paris Avenue. It was like a, uh, it's called Parchester. It was like a project, more or less. And I remember this school called Yo-Yo. And they used to teach us uh, to sing Jingle Bells in a foreign language, you know, in French. Yeah. You know? wow. so oh, yeah. I was about four or five years old at the time. I say about five years old because I was real young. I used to rush around with a little basket around the neighborhood with a potato smasher trying to catch lizards. <laughs> you know, that was my, <laughs> so that was my, that was my time of, of fun, you know, so I was just doing me having fun. As we moved to Avondale, like I'm saying, we're playing sports and everything. I'm nine, 10 years old, going to a school called Catholic Australia for one year. It's public school, which was like a walking distance from my mom, my dad's house. My stepdad, they moved us to Avondale, Louisiana. I met some guys there. But how I meet those guys, I always got in a fight. I always was a fighter. Even when I was in four, five, five, six, seven years old, I, was, I always remember fighting people, you know. And I love to fight, you know. I don't know what's got into me. But when I got my first fight, and I really got beat up from a Vietnamese. Uh, <laughs> that's a long story. I ain't going to that right now. But we, <laughs> but um, that's how I really learned how to fight after being beat up. It takes the blood a little bit. 
So everywhere I went, I was like big brother to my little sister, so I was overprotective. Many of my fights come from that. What was, you know, your your teens through up to before you went into the service? What was that like, your home life and, and what have you? All right. Well, I had a good home life. My, my parents was good. They did the best they can with, with their kids. They put us in Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. They spent their last dollar on us, make sure we had a good education. But uh, at the same time, they couldn't afford a lot of things, you know. Yeah. Because they were spending money on us, you know, for school. So yeah. I always wanted things that other kids wanted. Mm-hmm. But I, I couldn't have it because, you know, the money went really from our education and in, uh, in our house, good environment and stuff like that. But I think that that kind of like that design, what others had kind of led me into crime later down in my life, selling drugs and stuff like that. You know, because I I wanted things. In your teens, were you ever, as far as, were you a troublemaker? Were you getting yourself into, no? So you just, No, never get, I don't have no juvenile record or anything like that. I never did get in trouble. Only time I started getting into trouble is when I joined the National Guard, the military. You see, that's the only time, and that started when I was in Saudi Arabia. When we started drinking alcohol, started smuggling alcohol across the border. You know, I was doing stuff like that to um, make extra money, you know, with my friends. It was just like, it was like one thing to the next thing, stealing, I mean, you name it. You know, if it was, if my friends were doing it, I was doing it. It was like, I was the crowd I was I was with. And I was down with them. They were down with me. So that's how we, we rolled. But okay. I was gonna ask you, I'm sorry. The When you joined the National Guard at the time, you were going with the intentions of paying for uh, college while you were going to Nichols State, right? That was the right. intention? Yeah. You see, when I had, I had, I was going to Catholic school. See, uh-huh. I went to, I was transferred. I transferred schools to, uh, to a public school for my, my junior and senior year. Reason being is because uh, at De La Salle High School, I was going to Catholic school, all boy um, Catholic high school, where I had a basketball scholarship. Yes. You know, yes. I was playing with Dwayne Bryant and all them. Yeah. Dwayne Bryant wound up playing point golf for Georgetown Hoyers. And stuff yeah, like nice, that. nice. Mm-hmm. You know, Dennis Tracy, Dennis Tracy played at LSU and what, with Shaquille O'Neal. Stuff. Yeah. So, this, this was my teammates at the time. They were older than me, but I was under, and I was like a JV, there was varsity. You know? Okay. But, but this was the era I was in there. The principal, uh, we had got a new principal at De La Salle High School, uh-huh. and he took all the scholarships away from the uh, athletes. So that was kind of the pros of creating a problem with my family, you know, because I had a scholarship that helped with the finance, my family finance and everything. Yeah. So but if I had to pay, that would be more of a burden on my family. So mm-hmm. I decided to, the last minute, to transfer schools to public school when you had to worry about all that, which yeah. was in my yeah. district and I can play in football. What position did you play in football? Nice. I played cornerback. Nice. I played corner. Yeah, I played corner. So I was... I was like, when I went to Higgins, which is in my district, uh, I wound up starting on there, over there, um, my junior, senior year, played with Nathaniel Singleton. He was on offense. We used to go number one um, against number one defense, number one offense, and I always cover him. We ever had fun. You know, I grew up with him because he's from Avondale as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and we had fun. Everybody I, I grew up with, I'm playing with now, you know, so I'm really enjoying that. You know, but the only downfall to that was that, I was putting classes that went college preparatory classes. So therefore, but that kind of knocked me out from my full scholarship to go to um, play for anybody, mm-hmm. you see? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I wanted to go into Nickel State University to walk on, you know, which I had a partial scholarship there. Like I said, I went to National Guard to offset the cost so I can pay for the 
other half that I'm not paying, that's not covered in the own scholarship. No scholarship. You got you. You know? so you're just trying to get by. You're just trying to, trying to get through college. Yeah, I'm trying to make moves, you know. I'm, I'm young, you know. I'm trying, yeah. trying pretty much uh, doing my own thing right at this point. That shows a lot of character at that age. You know, I know I went to high school with a lot of people and maybe myself too included, but um, then I have a lot of drive. A lot of people dropped out. A lot of people, you know, got into crime. And But, you know, you did right. it. You were trying, you know what I mean? That, that shows a lot of character right there. You stated so, earlier, uh, Mr. Istin, that when you were in the military, that's when it that's when trouble started. What, If you don't mind me asking, what yeah. was you say now, because we're, we're older and mature, what would you say that was the reasoning that that happened at the time? Like now, if you can go back and say, OK, I did this because of that reason. Well, that's a good question because when I was there, all this, all this, all this, this transaction with me, this, this transformation uh, took place after, after all the bomb and every, after the war was pretty much over with. So we had a lot of time on our hands. We stayed over there like seven and a half months. This was Desert Storm. Desert Storm, yeah, nineteen ninety ninety one. Got you. Okay, mm-hmm. continue. Okay. Yeah, nineteen ninety one. So when we first got there, just it's like the wall was. Sh- started shortly after that and it was over quick mm-hmm. you know if you remember uh it was it was not much of a war but just it was just the air attack on us and stuff like that yeah but after all that was over with we had a lot of time on our hands and we was doing just doing silly things you know we, mm-hmm. we wanted to go to Bahrain Bahrain was we went there once on a job and we found out we discovered that it had alcohol or that that mm-hmm. you could drink NCO clubs we can go party, you mm. know, that the Navy ships and all that docked there. <laughs> so we had women there, you know, you understand? Oh, yeah. So quite naturally, that's we young, so we want to have fun. Yeah. So yeah. we started forging colonels' names on passes and stuff <laughs> by rain and um party. And sometimes we bring fits of alcohol back and sell it for triple the amount, you know, so we can go back buying more and this this just gotta make actually a money have a good time. <laughs> You know, first off, thank you for your service. And, and especially mm-hmm. during that during that yeah. time, I think it was probably more difficult than it is, you know, just any time. But because it was the mm-hmm. first first time when you got out, I think that you had uh, mm-hmm. started working as, as a groundskeeper and then you you ran into your old high school friends. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> All right. That's good. That's good. My mother was, she ran the crew. My mother worked for the lady who owns the um, Jefferson Downs and Fairgrounds. And so she was over the grounds there to keep it up. And they had a greenhouse that my mom was over. So we, that's how I got introduced oh, okay. to the planting and planting flowers and, st- and this and that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm living, I'm not married this time, but I'm living in an apartment. Me and my, my girlfriend, things got tight. But mm-hmm. prior to that, a friend of mine, big time drug dealer at the time, he came down with some guys in the car and he drove by and he said, I went to the car and talked to him. He said, man, you know, what you doing? You want to come, come with us, man? I said, man, I'm working. I'm working for mine. Right? Like yeah. that. Pull out not a money out of his pocket, man. Come on, man. We got this right here. You can get this, man. And mm-hmm. I said, nah, man, you know, I'm not with that. You know, yeah. like, I'm trying to, you know, yeah. I just came back home from war and everything, you know, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to do what's right and everything. Mm-hmm. I had a beautiful girlfriend at the time and one Italian girl, you know, she's, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. And I'm trying to make work, but one, it got, got to the point where, you know, I wanted more. So the guy left me, he left me with his phone number. If you need me, man, if you need anything, just call me. He, well, that was, see that when I accepted that phone number right there, that was my downfall right there. That one act right there. You yeah. know, because when I was laying in my apartment, I had that number on the mat on the by the phone. 
I never paid no mind to, to things that got rough on me. You know, I felt like I wanted more living paycheck to paycheck, you know, just in the thoughts of him showing me that money and, yeah. you know, I mean, living good. And so I just called him. I just happened to, I said, man, look, so when I called him, I paged him. He answered me right away. It's <laughs> 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 like he was waiting on my call, man, yeah. you know. So he told me to meet him in long service short. I want me I met him and I got I really wasn't selling drugs at the time because I didn't really know nothing about mm-hmm. selling drugs. You know, so I just hung with them. You know, this paid me to hang with them. I picked up the game on my own, you know, so watching them and, mm-hmm. and um he talking and schooling me and so how um, you know. how how were you at the game? Where were you uh were you pretty good at it as far as you seem like a good man. I can't imagine that you were <laughs> I guess you could say a ruthless dealer. Right. But what type no, of dealer definitely were you? Not that. Yeah, what type of dealer well, were you? I'm gonna tell you the nickname I had. I, right. I was the nice drug dealer. That's what they called me. The <laughs> oh, nice, nice drug <laughs> nice until they could <laughs> get, yeah. came across you. You know, you gotta realize. You know, I watched them. I watched the, the guys, and I never wanted to hurt nobody. I always was giving. I was always a giver. Yeah. I always I love people, and I just got. I ain't know what I was doing. I ain't know how bad selling drugs was what it does to people these things i'm always blind to mm-hmm. can, and, I st- um, can i stop you there real quick Jen? yeah sure so you talked about you know right now you you got out of the military you were dating you know girl mm-hmm. she, she was pretty you know you didn't want to lose that and it came right. down to money right would, would, you, would you say that at the time you when you called your friend you thought that it was the safest bet to get the money quicker or was it more of like the satisfaction to see if you if you can get away with it because some no, people that wasn't even real. a thought no you know okay. that wasn't even thought i just wanted i wanted more out of life i wanted i wanted to invest in real estate i wanted i wanted to be self-sufficient i want to be okay. financially free yeah. you see and i thought this would get give me that you the see? Lego. but that's mm-hmm. my that was my lack of knowledge that's how i thought with lack of knowledge of mm-hmm. what i was getting into and about this money because it's i know ill-gotten money. I know it's hard. You can't hide it. Yeah. You see? And I'm, I'm not, I wasn't thinking like that at that age, at that time. I don't even know what drug game was about at that time. Mm-hmm. It just, I just knew my friends was doing it. It was doing very good. They were very lucrative at it. They was making a lot of money and that was their lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. And I think we'll, we'll get into it toward the end, but I could, I definitely could tell a lot of young people like yourself, me a little bit too. When I was in, in high school, I have some really good friends that, uh, that, uh, you know, they're doing 30 for having, you know, for selling crack and, uh, one of the nicest people you would ever meet. One of the right. nicest people wasn't a, you know, wasn't a very uh, ruthless guy. He was trying to just help people. That's what he wanted to right. do. And right. It, right. To me, it's, it, it's, which we'll talk about later on in the episode about how many people are incarcerated because of these drug charges that they were just young. They made bad decisions. Why do you have to lock them up for 10 plus 20 plus years? Right. We'll right. get into that more later, yes. but um, okay. So we're at, we're, we're just trying to keep it to where the listeners can follow you because we're, we're, we're going to try to follow your okay. life and just go. So Let's get into when. So, what happened the day that you were busted? The day that you were arrested? Walk okay. us through that process of how it happened and all that. Well, let, let okay. me let, go ahead, Jesse. Well, uh, for the first time, right? The very first, the very first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, the first okay. one, or the, or the one I did all 150 years on. The first one. The first. The first, first one. one. Yeah, yeah. The first one. All right. The first one. Um, I come. You know, just haven't been home that long after I came from. Saudi Arabia. You know, I've been, I ain't been home that long after mm-hmm. when this happened, mm-hmm. but that's when I hooked up with, with my, with the drug friend of mine. Mm-hmm. I finally called him and I started selling, I started uh, hanging with him, but also I held his drugs 
up to about 20 keys in my closet from 20 kilos of cocaine. Mm-hmm. But what he told me was that if you know anybody who won't buy it, sell it mm-hmm. and you make the money, you see. And so I had a clientele. I had one guy who will buy a key from me mm-hmm. whenever he's ready, this one key. And that was good for me. I make two, three thousand dollars. I'm cra- I'm happy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I made some money. You know, yeah. and, he, and this particular time, one of my friends that uh, I was dealing with also, he wanted like little smaller weight, and I would deal with him too. I didn't want. I was trying to leave nothing on the table. Come to find out that he was setting me up with the oh, Fed. Wow. Okay? Now, now was the friend a really yeah. close friend, like a like best friends that you grew up with? Well, this or, guy, the- his brother was dating my sister. You know, mm-hmm. so that's why I trusted his him. So I kind of like felt that his family, how can he set me? I don't think he would set me up. Yeah, yeah. His little brother is messing with my sister, mm-hmm. you know. So that's why I went with it. And I was warned, you know, by the big time drug dealer, because they really checked the situation out for me. They mm-hmm. tell me, man, don't mess with it. That's the police. But I went and he said, if you, you know, I'm telling you, I don't got nothing to do with it. If you go with it, I'm not having nothing to do with it. They told me that. And I mm-hmm. couldn't believe that. And when I went with it, um, so, the, so the guy who I used to get the key to, he called me before I made that deal. He said, man, I need that key. I said, man, look, I can give you half because I, I promised a half to this, this mm-hmm. uh, my friend and his, his new connect. So at this time, I'm at Delgado University. See, I'm coming, I'm trying to get back in school. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to work my way back to Nickel State University, get back mm-hmm. and playing football. You see, that's my mm-hmm. whole, that's my, that's my plan. Yeah, yeah. But um, quite obviously, it was derailed because I met this. Um, the guy introduced me to these people. I told him, um, I, I have key with me now. I'm trying to be slick and you know, put it in the garbage can and stuff like that. And and I told him where to go get it. And when he got it out of the garbage can, they went that way and fares were everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. So what, were you the me, only one? And they searched yeah. the whole area. No, I was the only one that got arrested though. But I wasn't the only one that was. I had another person with me. They mm-hmm. they miss him all together. I don't know how they checked every car and everything. He was just laying on the on the seat, and it is oh, they, they ain't see him, so he got away. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but I wanna yeah. So so I got in trouble. I got arrested. Went through the whole ordeal. I had I got one of my mama, the lady on the racetrack. She want to pay for my lawyer. You know, a sweet lady, and she mm-hmm. tried to help us out. And I got Robert Glass, one of the top lawyers at the time, mm-hmm. and they got me. The most my first offense, and I still had to do 42 months in the federal, you know. Mm-hmm. But they sent me to Florida, Pensacola, Florida, federal camp. It's called Softly Field. And I did, did my time there. Came home, did six months and a half with House in New Orleans and got a job working for my wife. I'm, I'm married because I got married before I went to jail, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's why mm-hmm. I got married before I went to jail to the Italian girl. So you ended up marrying her? Yeah, I married her, you know. See, <laughs> she's a good girl, man. Yeah. <laughs> Now, is this the uh, the mother? Is this the mother of your son? No, it's not the mother of my son. My mother, my son was born already from high school. She, she was born actually two months after I graduated from high school in 87. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Okay. So now what state was this that you were arrested in the first time? It's or- Louisiana. Louisiana. Okay. That's what I thought. New Orleans. Okay. All right. I got you. All right. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Uh, 
Uh, so you so you get out. You're you're you're, you're trying to go on a straight and narrow. I'm assuming after the yes. when you get yes. out. Um, yes. So now walk us through. You get back with the same people. You get out. No, okay. No, sir. <laughs> okay. Sir. Okay. Sir. Uh, no, sir. Actually, I was looking for the same people. I was mm-hmm. looking for them. Yeah. But I couldn't find them. So really, I wasn't trying to. I wasn't looking for them to get into drugs. Mm-hmm. I just want to look at them. Just talk to him, yeah. you know, see what he had, yeah, yeah. you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, anyway, I'm come home and that come, I'm home, that's 1995. Okay. And I come home from the feds, mm-hmm. 1995. I'm working at this um place called Ocean Technical Services off of Peters Road in Harvey, Louisiana. That's what my wife, stepdad mm-hmm. was farming at. So he got me a job. Okay. And they had two Cuban twin brothers you know, uh, that owned it. Mm-hmm. You know, so they took me in, they had no problem. I didn't care about my, my jacket. My It was cool. Yeah. So I worked for them to about like 96, almost 97. They had these two Mexicans working there with me. So I got to know them real well. But yeah. they just found out, they found out that I did time for selling drugs. Yeah. I don't know how yeah. they found out, but they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm going to the tool room. One, I'm working in the tool room. And the other one working on the floor. Mm-hmm. And they kind of caught me at the tool room together. Mm-hmm. He asked me, one of the, the guy on the floor asked me, he said, um, he said, man, I heard you've been in prison. I said, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. No problem, man. I ain't high enough to everybody know because I, he said, yeah. He said, um, what you want that prison for? I said, for selling drugs. Mm-hmm. Like that. He said, yeah. But he got, you know, they got quiet for the moment and, you know, my mind is like, no, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't getting to that no more. You know, that's yeah, yeah, how yeah. my mindset at the time. Mm-hmm. But I knew these guys. You know, I've been on them for like a year and a half, almost two years. You know, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You see, on Matt. Yeah, you're feeling them. Yeah. Question. He said he asked. He asked this question. He said, "If you had an opportunity to do it again, would you?" I said, "No." Mm-hmm. Off the top, I said, yeah. "No." Then I thought about it. I said, mm-hmm. "Why you ask me that?" I said, "I said, well, it all depends on who it is. Why you ask me that?" Mm-hmm. And then he said, "Well, I need to talk to you then." I said, "Oh, here we go." Mm-hmm. You know, I said, "All right." So, he, so I saw I got into the drugs again, but it was dealing with marijuana. Got it's come to find me been home for a while, so the prices skyrocketed in certain areas, and I didn't know. And I got this stuff for a certain price, thought I could move it, but I couldn't. Mm-hmm. But I wound up getting some friends help me move it, breaking it down because it was so expensive, you know. Yeah. So that led me to seeking for better prices. Mm-hmm. I seen it's it's just like, man, I don't understand how this this works, man. But mm-hmm. I'm at the job, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, and I see a old friend of mine that was with me. When I was in the drug game, mm-hmm. driving by and he see me blow the horn, he came in and come talk to me, mm-hmm. and I'm talking to him. It just, you know, it, I'm I'm talking to him, and I asked, I said, "Man, you weed, mm-hmm. man, I got a lot of weed." I said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, I got I got some weed too, man." I said, "But he charged me eight hundred dollars to nine hundred dollars mm-hmm. a pound." He said, "Oh man, that's too high. I get it for four hundred. Mm-hmm. See, so here we go. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, "What?" So I. <laughs> I wind up leaving him alone after giving his money back. Mm-hmm. And eventually I leave the job that I was on. Okay. I went down the road. I went offshore to the seismograph company, mm-hmm. a boat full of Panamanians, the whole boat. Mm-hmm. The only guy that spoke English was one who was over everybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm on a boat with this, with these Panamanians. We wrapping up these. Uh, these mics and we'll be going in the water, you know, do that boom, yeah. pick up this, the, the terrain at the bottom of the water or the, uh, the Gulf. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So I went on there. Two of my friends come on there with me. They from, uh, I think Dominican Republic. I'm not sure. So they driving. 
they speak Spanish. So we had to go Texas to catch the boat. So we drove out there. They took their car. So I think Galveston, if you remember Galveston, Texas, mm-hmm. I think you had to. Yeah, it's about uh, four hours mm-hmm. from, from Austin, where, where I'm at. Yeah. I'm in Texas. Yeah. Right, right. So we uh, we went out over there. So we went driving. So the boat we had a little, like, little time before we leave. So we took it. I said, man, let's go check it a ride, you know, see what's going on, you know. So before we go on the water, we went to take a ride in Galveston. And uh, we get to one of these red lights. We ain't going to the beach side. We went on the back in the subdivision area. Mm-hmm. We had this Mexican pull up. He had a lot of rings on his fingers and long hair mm-hmm. he's jamming to his music and uh i'm in yeah. the back seat my friends in the front you know i'm driving mm-hmm. past him you know? so I, I i say man look i said max that dude man i said ask him where the, where the marijuana at like that mm-hmm. so I, I peep you know i've been to jail yeah. so i'm already yeah. you know I'm, so my mind already there so mm-hmm. i'm already selling drugs but you know but i'm trying to get my own connect at this time he said, oh, yeah. I didn't know at the time. Well, you know, he said, oh, yeah. Como esta? Donde esta mota? You know. Oh. Where's the <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, so they, he said, follow me. So we followed him. Boom. I said, so they got out the car. I went to talk to the guy. I said, man, if he's serious, and, and, you know, just call me. I'll come talk to the guy like that. So they called me, flagged for me, motioned for me. So I went. I talked to him. And he told me the prices he had for his marijuana, $400 a pound. I said, I want him. I said, look, we're going offshore. Give us your number, and I'm gonna call you soon to get mm-hmm. offshore. And sure enough, and that's how I start going to Texas, back in Louisiana. I'm toting this stuff in my trunk, man. Wow. Wow. By myself, wow. I'm driving to wow. Texas, back in New Orleans, with marijuana. That I bought. I took. I spent all my money offshore, and bought me five pounds of weed. You know, mm-hmm. and he front me five pounds of weed. So mm-hmm. from, from five to from ten pounds went to a hundred pounds. Wow. I'm, I'm buying it with my own cash money now. Yeah. So he, I said, man, this is too large for me. I can't hide this no more. I'm getting spooked on the road with this. I said, soon my number's going to be up and they're going to pull me over. I can't do this like any longer. Mm-hmm. So he introduced me to the cocaine. I said, oh, great. Let me, try, let me see what it is. You know, so mm-hmm. he gave it, gave me a little piece. You know, I tasted it. I said, wow, my tongue is numb. Mm-hmm. I said, look, how much are your keys? I said, 14,000. Boom. I said, give me two of them. He gave me two and gave me one with it. So my two keys I get from this guy, mm-hmm. you know, one I bought, well, two I bought and one in front. So mm-hmm. and three, I bring his money back. So I get to the point where I'm buying 10 mm-hmm. kilos on my own. So that, yeah, so that's that would let me in, in that little era by building up to 10 keys. So I have, mm-hmm. as you know, I got on a mix some clientele in New Orleans. So soon I bring it home, it's gone. All mm. 10. And sometimes I got the 15, 20, it gone. And um, really, still at this point, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. So I'm just enjoying the money because I'm not investing. I had a mock, that's when the New Orleans sharks come in at it. That's what I was going to ask. So, I know you, mm-hmm. you had your family running that. And for me, reading the story, it was almost like, you were giving back at the end of the day, you were doing this uh, to feel comfortable and make your family, your surroundings to do it because the story headlines it. you were, you were doing the sharks so that college and your high school friends can get the, uh, the second chance. So I see that. And I read that between the lines, just talking to you, speaking to you. I knew that those were the mm-hmm. intentions that you were doing. You never had ill will mm-hmm. on that. No ill will, none. Just helping people. I've gone about it the wrong way. And I really didn't have nobody really to pull my chain because my family didn't know what I was doing. They had speculations, but I refused 
um, I refused to let anybody know that was close to me what I was doing. You see, I kept I kept was on the street on the streets. I ain't bring nothing so home, the number, never. The number one thing that people get caught up on is all of a sudden they buy luxurious things. Mm-hmm. Did you do that? Like, did you buy a fancy car and just straight cash? Or did you keep it kind of low key? I kept it low key. Actually, I had five cars, but there was there was rundown. There was this transporting cars. That's all. Mm-hmm. I had, uh, actually, when I came home, I had uh, a blue Mitsubishi truck when I came back home. I bought that when I came back home from the war. That was my truck. And I uh, let the little young guy that I took under my wing persuade me to buy me something better. I wound up getting a, um, a Ford utility vehicle. Mm-hmm. That was my first time with little chrome rims and a little, yeah. little sound. Yeah. You know, hey, so. We all had to get that. <laughs> <laughs> we all got to get one of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> oh, shit, I've had cars yeah. that uh, I've had cars where the rims have cost more than the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, yeah, you know, I ain't know nothing about all that, but they had that little youngster, man. He, he had the truck more than I had it. <laughs> yeah, right. right. right <laughs> I think I said, oh, he set me up. He wanted it. He mm-hmm. knew he was going to ride it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. um, yeah, so that's what that, that was the most expensive thing I had. Yeah, this is a, it's a captivating story. It's a, people out there that are listening. They, I think that they're going to be able to put themselves in your shoes because that's what we're trying to do. Uh, we're trying to get you yeah. to tell that story so people can, yeah. you know, put themselves mm-hmm. in your shoes and know because I guarantee you so far, a lot of people can relate to what you've been doing and what you've been going through. And again, the, the reason why I did this is I think that many people are going to want to know the story without the meat and bones of it. And yeah. so what me and Paul did is we want people to feel your pain, to understand why things happen. And so that's why we started it from youth to now we're about to get on that meat of the bones part. Yeah. So thank you. Cause, cause we did, th- that's what we wanted. We want people to know you. Mm-hmm. Not just, you know, because right, people do right. interviews and they only oh. want to know, I got caught, I did this, I did this. And and, and that's not what it, what we were trying to do. So, right. so appreciate yeah. it. And I think that the, the journey is what, because what happened to you is just what happened to you, not who you are. You know what I mean? Mm, I think exactly. people want to relate to that more than what, because we can just, they can look you up and just see, oh, well, this is what you went through uh, during mm-hmm. your, your proceedings, your court proceedings and all, which we'll get to. But, uh, you know, ultimately, hopefully we'll be able to change somebody at some point or another. So, uh, so, so now your life's good. Uh, money's right. Uh, you know, yeah. you're going back and forth. Things are looking up. Uh, take us to the day of the rest and any details that, you know, you want to tell about it. The day that you actually, that started this whole shebang for you. Okay. Um, know that I have, uh, I had full count of possession with 10 to distribute over 400 grams of cocaine. Mm-hmm. Um, one count was conspiracy. Another count was attempt possession over 400 grams of cocaine. Other two was possession with intent to um, distribute cocaine. And never did they get drugs from me. So go figure. Oh, wow. <sighs> never. Yeah, they didn't get drugs from me at all. Never got drugs on this on this charge on my second. This is my second run. They never got drugs from me. Uh, the day that they came, got me. They lit the four counts. So the four counts, one was in Texas, too. Mm-hmm. Um, mind you that. One was in Texas. And that was my original sentence. That was my original charge in Texas because it's the last one. Okay. That's how they do it. And that's the conspiracy one. They never detained me in Texas, but the two people that was with me, the two females with me, they detained mm-hmm. them and kept them. And one of those females they used to testify on me, testify on me in trial. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the other three counts is in the city, different various places. But they used mm-hmm. uh so after on the one when they got the money from me, that count was close to where my apartment was at. On Jefferson Highway, they stopped me for a traffic violation. And I had two 
guys came from Houston, two Mexicans came from Texas. And I had my girlfriend who was on the passenger side. I was driving. She's she's Colombian. So mm-hmm. what, a, what a bunch of people, right? What a group of bunch. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah, uh, Colombian, yeah. Mexican, and me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how we roll. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you can imagine what the state troopers and what them thinking right now, you know, once they run out mm. license and, you know, but uh, yeah. anyway, I have the money. They say I did. I just came from doing a drug transaction. That's what they say. So they, I refused them to search my vehicle. I said, no, you cannot search my vehicle. So they, what they did is got us out the car one at a time. And, then they, and once they got out the car, they searched us and pat us down, stuff like that. Since you won't let us search your vehicle, we won't have to uh, hold you until the dogs come. Mm-hmm. I said, well, all right, cool. Yeah. You know, dog came, went around the car. I mean, a dog just going around the car. He never hit on nothing. You know, I don't have no drugs mm-hmm. on me, you know, so but I do have $33,000 in my back truck, mm-hmm. you know, in a mm-hmm. shoebox. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so the door happened to be open on my girlfriend at the time. Her door was open. Mm-hmm. And so he opened the door. So the dog went in the door sniffing, sniff anything. So he wound up letting the dog go in the car. He go in the car with the dog. And he's, he's looking. He's turned things over. So we get to the back of the... Yeah. So, he's trying. Uh, so, yeah, they're trying. Yeah. They're gotta, trying to find know, something. So they yeah. They're trying to find something, you know. So they I came to discover the money. So they got the money. So they gave me a receipt. They counted the money while I was there. After they count the money, gave me a receipt for the money, and they let me go. Okay? okay. Let me go. Mm-hmm. So shortly after that, I had my my Colombian family. We were in the apartment. I pretty much moved my girlfriend, her mom, and her sister, and her little brother to the apartment where I'm at. So we live in an apartment. I had a friend of mine over there, too. We're just uh, chilling, and uh, he wound up sleeping over, you know. And they kicked my door in that morning, about 4 or 5 in the morning. Now, did you know? know? Like, did you, did you suspect that? everything or did no. you just think oh i got lucky this time i didn't i just like like when they took my money and everything gave me a receipt for it you know it was like yeah i was i was worried i was worried i got you you know because I got you. you know i was in the game i know what was doing wrong for them to take my money and pull me over the reason why they stopped me is because i had air proper use of license plate because i just bought the car for my girlfriend mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. had a paper the paper thing on tape I got and you. Mm-hmm. It, it fell it fell out so that was the proper cause of pulling me over. Okay. So mm-hmm. back to the apartment, kick my door in, they came in there, put everybody on the sofa, they handcuffed me, handcuffed my girlfriend. Um, we were the only two they handcuffed. They got my friend of mine, they didn't mess with they questioned him, questioned uh, the mama and the daughter and the little boy was too young at the time. So they, they just kept them. And after they, they searched the apartment, they up and down, it went through the vents and everything. They didn't find nothing. They got two, nine hundred something dollars off my windowsill. That's all they yeah. got out of the apartment. Nine hundred something dollars off my windowsill. Now, did you? Uh, so were you? Were you on probation at the time that they searched you? Yes, I was. You over? Yes, I was. Oh, okay, I got you. Okay, now did they? Is that something that could that could break your probation? Having all that cash on you? Um, no, no, not at all. Okay, um, it's oh, not okay. illegal to have money unless you're proven it's illegal. Okay. Uh, I got you. Okay. All yeah. right. But actually, tell you the truth, I, I fought in it. When I was in Angola, I fought to get that money back and I won. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to give me, oh, nice. me back to court and give me my $900 some dollars back cash money. Just the way they got okay. it, they gave it back. But they couldn't give it to me because it was cash money. I was in jail. Mm-hmm. So they, my yeah, mom yeah. was there to give it to my mom. So they asked me, anybody here you, that's, that I can give this money to for you? I said, yeah, my mom is here. So she came to the judge's uh, thing and uh, mm-hmm. the judge gave her the money. So yeah, they just yeah. mailed it to me. <laughs> 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 but uh, the whole time that you were doing this, were, were you using? Like, did you did you do no, the drugs? I, I never, I never, not at all. I never did drugs. I never smoked marijuana. 
Um, only thing I did on occasionally was drink alcohol. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. And um, all of, you know, and that, and I only did that when I go out, and that wasn't that wasn't much, you know. Yeah. So I didn't do that that much. Go out. Uh, so the cops they come in, they arrest you, yes. and then they take you. Now, are you pretty much like okay, I'm done? Are you are you pretty much know what's going on by then? Well, I'm I'm like this. I'm at this point. It's like you never got any drugs from me. Mm. You see, the only thing I know you got from me was thirty three thousand dollars cash money. You just took my nine hundred dollars. So why are you arresting me? Mm. Understand? He said, "Well, you figure that out when you go to court." Like that. Okay, cool. You know. Um, took my girlfriend. She went to, to her jail. So she she's she's facing deportation. So mm. she really spooked. You know. So mm. she wound up um testifying on me. You know. Uh, along with the, the, the chick up, um, that was in Texas, one of the girls in Texas, uh, come to find out she was like a, a, a daughter of one of the, the court appointed attorneys in the parish I fell at. So, uh, so my luck wasn't too good at that point. <laughs> you know, so it was really the card, uh, it was stacked, stacked against me. So I had a few lawyers I paid, I wound up losing money on them. I don't know what transpired, I still the can't figure out why. You know, I get these lawyers and, and they're supposed to be good lawyers and just flake out on me like that. I just don't understand. But I wound up getting a court appointed attorney and he fought. He fought for me. Uh, but at, at the end, you know, I mean, he he really didn't want me to go to trial and he tried to talk me out of it. Didn't, didn't want me to go on stand to mm-hmm. speak on my behalf. Mm-hmm. I wanted to fight for myself. You he, know? Wanted to, but, he, wanted uh, you, he wanted you to take a plea? Yeah, he wanted me to take a plea. They offered me, they came about three, four times. At mm-hmm. through my lawyer and uh, they said man look uh, uh just give me you know my lawyer have paper a whole bunch of names he said just give me anybody on here you know just you know get credit for time serving go home right mm-hmm. now and i said no mm-hmm. can't do that and he came back you know he said look i got a good deal for you five years man go home man five years i said okay i'll take five years not thinking that you already knew that i'm not i'm not gonna talk mm-hmm. on nobody you already know mm-hmm. So five deals yeah. sounds sweet yeah. if I don't have to talk. No, I take the five years. Mm-hmm. So now he said, well, just give me one name. Off. I said, no, man. I, said, I told you the first time I'm not going to do this. Well, I do for one mm-hmm. year. I'm going to do for five years for Then he come with eight years. Mm-hmm. And I, no. He said, look, 20 years. You don't have to talk to nobody, talk on nobody. And you be home. You have an exit date. To me, 20 years is a long time. I counted on my mm-hmm. finger. My, my my son be graduated from college. I'm missing this. I'm missing that. I'm missing that. I said, no, I might as well just fight for it, man. If I'm going to do all that, I might yeah. as well just fight. He said, you mm-hmm. sure? I said, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I said, strap up the booze, my brother. We're going to trial. Yeah. You know, yeah. get ready. You ready? You know, tell my lawyer, you ready? You know, he said, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I said, okay, well, tell him we're going to trial. And he said, man, he's going to give you 150 years. You go to trial. I said, well, you have to give it every bit of it. Mm-hmm. And it, that's what they did. <laughs> yeah. Every bit of it. so far like us on facebook subscribe do everything that you guys do to be able to support us it's because of you guys that we're up here doing this 
and uh, actually doing pretty well at this. And if you have a chance, also, if you could give us a review, especially everybody out there on the Apple platform, uh, give us a review, get us up there at the ladder so that people up there can give us a chance to be able to change their lives. That's what we're about, trying to change people's lives and do something good for the people. Uh, so with that, we'll be right back. love me more than I do. She say your pop would just like you. Trapped in a vicious cycle. Jesus, youngest disciple. Tell the judge if he throw the book at me, make it the Bible. Start calling myself the king for lack of a better title. Lawyer beyond belief to my yeah. How long was the uh, how long was the trial? The trial for it was the first day was the uh, jury pulling the stuff. Uh, and the trial was three days. It was oh, wow. three days after it lasted three days. And you know, it was like and everybody had headphones on. Like it was real quiet in, in the courtrooms all the day. It was it was it was uh it was something. Yeah. Really was. Can you tell us what you were going through in those wild. three days? How did you feel um, in those three days? I felt actually I felt confident that you know where things was going because a lot of things were being revealed that until uh, the last the last day I think that's when they started bringing people to testify on me. Mm. You see, they told me you, you know your girl your um girlfriend come and testify on you and I said well I mean she, I just had, she had just had to look me in my eye then and testify on me you know you know because she really my girlfriend didn't know nothing about what I was doing. So she was coerced to say what she said about my phone conversation. Had about a thousand phone conversations. You only had me on three, and it really not saying much, you know. But um, the lingo I was using, they used her up to tell the jury what I was saying, but she don't know. Mm-hmm. So what they figured I was saying, that's what they were telling her to, to agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the only way. That's the only way we're gonna see. You know that she. That's how she cooperated like that. And same thing with the other girl was in Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, her, her mother have a lot to do with that, you know, giving her a deal, you know, yeah. so. So all that's going on. You're in the courtroom. The yeah. judge reads back. But now is this a trial jury? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So jury comes trial. Back. Right. We're going through the trial. Well, what happened the, uh, when they read it and what was your, what was your sentence? They read it. They gave me a 150 year sentence. Mm-hmm. You know, the judge, uh, he, he felt that by how much drugs I was dealing with and stuff like that, he couldn't be lenient on me. So therefore he gave me 150 years, you see, but the 150 uh, years wasn't actually wasn't, he didn't max me out. He could have mm-hmm. given me more than that. You know, I was like 10 on a bigger charge, had two fifties and two twenty fives. You know, I could have got two sixties mm-hmm. and, uh, and two thirty fives. You mm-hmm. see, that would be maxed me out, but uh, he didn't, they still ran it consecutive, mm-hmm. ran my time consecutive. Mm-hmm. And then it took me back, there too later and they billed me so like that wasn't enough like oh, wow. you know like yeah. at 50 and 50 and 25 20 i had to do all of them individually so that wasn't enough you know <laughs> but he came back and billed me and flattened me out at 150. oh wow didn't know any possibility of parole none of that that they said they didn't at that point it, it wasn't that until laws changes you know i was mm-hmm. i was on the act 138 but i had by my by me being billed and flat my time out i couldn't get it but i had the potential was there to get it. Now, what so year was, was there. this that you were sentenced? This 2000. In oh, 2000, wow. I fell in 1998. I fell in 1998, and I didn't go to trial until 2000. You got sentenced. I, I did read that, that your mom leaned over and she quoted, son, yeah. your fight has yeah. just begun. When I read that, because I'm a mama's boy, I got a little tear. I was like, whoa, <laughs> that was strong. But that was- how, how did you feel? Because when I was reading this, I was like, ooh. So I can just imagine just hearing that part Man, on your side. It was, it was, it was at the right time. 
Mm-hmm. She said that because all the two and a half years at the parish jail, I done turned my life over to Christ Jesus. I'm reading the Bible, doing Bible studies. I'm doing everything. I'm preaching to my family. I'm doing everything. Actually became a different person at the parish jail. And I'm preparing. My mom was being prepared spiritually for this moment. You following me? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And so when she, when I looked at her, because we almost had a hung jury. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm to point to mama, point up to the sky like, I said, God is controlled, ma, you know, mm-hmm. like that. But the judge overread it and um, wound up sentencing me. That's why I call him the hatchet man. You mm-hmm. know? That was my second judge or my original judge. And he gave me the sentence, 150 years. My mom, as she was leaving out the courtroom, everybody, everything's over. Everybody who was spectating was leaving. And my mama looked at me in a box, handcuffed, shackled down. And she said, son, fight has just begun. Hmm. I said, yeah, yeah that's yeah. a strong mama right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I had to go hold it back. I was like, whoa, that was strong. <laughs> I, f- I felt yeah. it. I felt Real. it's pain. Real, man. Okay. Real. Yeah. To start off, you know, I, I people, are, the stereotype is this, and, and I think that some of our listeners do want to know, and I'll speak on behalf of them. It's a quote that they say that anytime someone is incarcerated, that's when they find religion. Now, is there a backstory to that on why, or would you explain to the listeners as to what made you turn into religion for, for yourself, well, not not for well, anyone? Well, as I ex- expressed to y'all earlier, I went to Catholic schools all my life. The seed was planted when I was Absolutely. young. Um, my family made sure we went to church every Sunday, mm. you know, the whole family. We um kind of fell from that as we got older. Mm. You see, we start doing, you know, kids, you know, doing. church got old. Person, I ain't no God person. I ain't have a personal relationship with God, but I knew there was a God. And so it was easy for me to go to God while I was in that situation because I tried, I did everything that I wanted to do and it didn't work. So why not try God? So that was my thought at that time. So why not give God a try? He said that. He's a God of deliverance. He's a God of freedom, you know, everything. He's a God of everything, yeah. you know, so so he loves us. You know, he's a God of love, forgiveness, patience, which I didn't have. <laughs> I said, if God loves me, then that's who I want to be, you know, with God. You know, I want to be a, a steward of God, you know, be mm-hmm. uh, a faithful steward. And yes. uh, so I gave it a shot, mm-hmm. you know, the guys, well, I refused it at first. You know, God was at the parish jail, had a circle. I'm looking at them, you know, pretty much was additionally to what I'm saying is that I was kind of fear brought me that way, too, because mm-hmm. after two steps of being arrested, my guy, I'm sitting at the Bible study, just watching a guy. I didn't want to participate. I'm just seeing what's going on. So a guy called me to the, he said, you call me Boosie. My nickname, you call me Boosie. And um, he said, Boosie, come see, man. You're all over the TV. So I went to the TV. Saw it, and I saw how they got all them people under me, had me on top, had my sister coming off, branch off me and my girlfriend coming on under there and had another mm-hmm. uh leader i mean had a whole man it was like wow then they showed my whole route and everything mm-hmm. that they thought i was doing with yeah. drug trying you know so they had all that on the mm-hmm. news and kind of like that was another uh factor that led me to really read the word of god to see who god is and what and what can i benefit from see i was going to it i wanted i wanted help you see Mm-hmm. And it was fear-based. And once I got to know who God was personally after a couple of years in there, you know, I realized that I had God uh, pegged wrong. You know, I, I wanted God to be the God I want him to be, not who he actually is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had so, to bow down to his ways. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Yeah. yeah well, you're, you're starting your Senate. How many appeals would 
you were you able to how many did you do and how many did you lose? Um, well, I don't know exactly how many mm-hmm. kills I have done, but I did I did mm-hmm. my fair share. I haven't won none. I was defeated every now, every turn. Now, uh, uh, going back to yes. the God uh, uh, conversation, were you were you ever disheartened and like, man, I'm never going to get out of here? How did you handle yourself in this time incarcerated? You know, with God and all that. How, how did you keep your spirit alive? The fight that your mom had foretold before you went in. How did you keep that going? You know, I think a lot of people would have maybe given up by then. But when was it that you realized, okay, hey, it's time for me to fight. It's time for me to to get this done. That's good question. That's good. Um, because uh, when I first got to Angola, I got there in uh, February 2001. It's a city of its own, so you can get actually get lost in there. There's a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of activities. So it's, in other words, it's a lot of distractions. All right. The law library wasn't a thing for me at that time. I was into sports. Now I love sports, and mm-hmm. so I started boxing. Mm-hmm. I played contact football. I played mm-hmm. basketball. I just love when people look at me and say, man, man, I know you can play ball that good, you know, and stuff like that. I used to love this. I used mm-hmm. to love beating them and winning championship, yeah. you know. So uh, I kind of got caught up in that, you mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. I got a job in 2001, shortly after being in the, I've been in the field. When I first got there, you had to do six months in the field. Mm-hmm. I'm sh- strong in my faith. Mm-hmm. I never lost my faith. And I always talk to a guy in the field. He's always be next to me. He was a Muslim. And mm-hmm. he said, man, you still believe this big old pie in the sky thing, stuff like that. And I just smile at him. And I just mm-hmm. start fitting some scriptures to him and, say, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some reality stuff to him. And, and he said, man, my, my mom tell me the same thing and stuff like that. But I mentioned mm-hmm. it. I mentioned, I mentioned this to you for a reason because uh, I applied, when I first got to Angola, I applied for a job to be a chaplain clerk. And I was the last in stop. In there, I said, man, can you believe Esteen came in here and filled out an application to work in a chapel clerk, and he just got here, you mm-hmm. know? And I used to tell, I, I'm gonna cut through the chase. Mm-hmm. I'm in the field five months at this point, mm-hmm. and I'm always the last one in the line. I had the smallest number. Everybody, no, I had the biggest number because mm-hmm. you had the biggest number. Mean you the a person mm-hmm. that's in prison. That I never did state time before. My time was fed. So everybody did state time, did two, three fence, two, three times over. So they have these small numbers that no one that had been there before. And so I'm the last in line because of that. And they had these, this particular day, had these two white guys come in line, in my line, and they behind me. Mm-hmm. So I look over to the Muslim guy. I say, see, got two guys that just came behind me. God gave this line two people. For me, I'm mm. out of here. I just spoke it. Mm. You know, wow. he said, yeah, you believe in this old pie in the sky stuff. You run all this little rhetoric again and stuff. Yeah. Went in for lunch. We're always going for lunch. So mm-hmm. I go into lunch. You go into my dorm, clean up. Get ready to go, you know, call us for lunch. And, and a man called me to the desk. And I used to always talk to this guy because he was military too. He's a security mm-hmm. guard. He said, Esteem. He said, pack your stuff. You're going to the other side. So, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what that meant, going to yeah. the other side. You know, we got the West Yard, which got East Side, and we got the Warner Hickory Side, and got the um, Open Pine Side. It's mm-hmm. all on the same, same West Yard. It's all West Yard, but different. You know, it's called cross the, the walkway, and you're on the other side. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, "I said, okay." So I asked, I asked the scary part of the question. I said, "So if I go on this side, how do I go to the field from over there?" And he he kind of chuckled, and he said, "Well." I don't think you go to the field from over there. I think that's the working side. I said, really? So what happened was that 
the application I felt out when I first got there got approved, granted. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a chaplain's clerk now. No more feel. Mm-hmm. And I see this guy. I wave to him after lunch. I'm waving. He going to feel. He looking. I'm just waving at him. I say, I'm gone. And I just told him I'm out of here. You mm-hmm. know, not knowing that fast, but I just told yeah. him that. And I ain't seen him. So we have call outs, you know, functions and go eat outs and stuff in the, in our visiting area that we visit our family at. But sometimes when you know, during the week, we have little mm-hmm. functions, inmates put on, stuff like that. So I went to there, and he happened to be there. That was a year later. And he said, he say, man, he pulled me aside. He said, man, I remember that time you told me you was leaving. You know, he said, every, he ran it to me. Then he said, I want you to know this too, man. I said, I'm a Christian now. He yeah. turned his life over. <laughs> nice. Nice. You know, I said, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. But right. that is something, you know, I want to give y'all because it was like instrumental to, in my life. Mm-hmm. And show me that God, how God, how real God is in my life. And mm-hmm. if he be that real to me, he can also be that real in your life as well. I, uh, speaking on that, then that way we can, because I kind of want to keep it all co- cohesive, okay. is when you were going through the trial, you were getting that second chance. Something that I, that I read up on is, this is mm-hmm. what you quoted. You said, God is still using me. I'm a vessel yeah. that's willing to be used and he's going to use me. Tell us about that. Yeah. I can't, I, I know how God, God use, uses people, you know, those who allow him to use him. God is a gentleman. He did not force you to follow his ways at all. He's looking for willing vessels. And I made that statement because I, I became that willing vessel. So I always pray. I said, God, if you can use anybody, you can use me. And that's why I stood on. My whole time I was in prison, I said, God, if you can use me, anybody, you can use me. And I have a scripture that I, stay, I stood on the whole time. One scripture, that's Matthew 16, 25. And, it, and it's those who try to save his life will lose his life. Those who lose his life for my sake will gain life. So I had to be unselfish with my life to gain life. The life that he wanted to give me, so which was more more abundant than what I can do for myself. It's almost like you were doing that before you were incarcerated. You know, you were in some form or fashion giving back. You were trying to help people in in, in your own way. You know what I mean? Now you're incarcerated. You're doing the same. It's it's fascinating how how God can work and and how things can happen that way. When all you got to do is just pay attention, pay a little bit more attention, and you can see it. He's all around and what have you. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. When you were able back in 2017, when I guess what was the the, the professor Kelly Kelly Carmina was it Kelly? Oh, Carmina, yeah, Carmina, yeah. Kelly, yeah. Mm-hmm. She is the law professor at Southern University Law Clinic, mm. Kelly Carmina. Okay, and she had like three students or four students with her to argue my case that I have that was granted Louisiana Supreme Court for oral argument. They did a good job, huh? <laughs> they did a great job. <laughs> I never. I never met her. Okay. Still to um, this day, I, I was curious. You still haven't had. You still haven't met her. Well, y'all sent me a question with that, right? Uh huh. So I said, let me look her up. So I went on Facebook and I look. I, I put up. I put her name in there. She popped up. I never. I don't know what she look. I don't, I don't know what she looked like. Or anything. And just mm-hmm. know her name. So I seen her friend and I saw the lawyer was a student at the time, was one of her students that helped fight, argue my case in Louisiana mm-hmm. Supreme Court. I said, that's her. 
So I sent her a message. I sent her a message, let her know who I am. And that was all. She hit me back. Wow. She was running it. She said, I'm so excited to meet. Man, you know, we was excited. She was excited. I was excited, you know, because, you know, I mean, everybody asked me, have you met Kelly Carmana? I said, no. I said, I need to meet her. So I just, I just, uh, day before yesterday, that's what I did. So we're going to set up a Zoom meeting so we can talk. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, yes. We're going to have to follow up with you and see how that Zoom meeting went. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Most definitely. Well, how long are you locked up before the proceedings start getting momentum and you start seeing, you know, these law students in Car- Carmina? Is that her name? Carmina? Carmina? Yeah. Yeah. Carmina. Yeah. How, how long How long are you incarcerated when then everything just starts going for you? When it All right. So 2017, I think 2018, right? If I'm not mistaken. I think it was 18. Well, it's really short. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you start really taking, because I, I come home and I come home in two nineteen. Okay, okay. Yeah, I come home in two nineteen. So, so you're um, right, about seventeen years, eighteen years already by now. Yeah, about eighteen years because okay. I did. Yeah, by eighteen years, a little okay. over eighteen years. Oh wow! Sir. Oh wow! And um, and and now you're uh, you're corresponding with your son as well. How 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 instrumental? Mm-hmm. Or what was he doing to help you with with all of this process as well? Well, my son was in college. You know, he was really busy. I remember he just comes visit me when he can. As he get older, my visits got less because mm-hmm. you know he had more responsibility. I understood that, mm-hmm. but um, the love between us is always will be there. We we text each other now. We, I'm not long ago um, visiting him wait in St. Louis, Missouri, then spend a little time with him and his wife. So he's really doing good for himself. I'm proud of him. He's an insurance consultant up there, mm-hmm. one of the youngest um, managers they had in the company. So uh, he also got his law degree. You know, so he's mm-hmm. a lawyer as well. He passed the bar uh, exam. So he, yes, congratulations. You know, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Right before uh, we get to the to the fun part that I'm excited about, we'll do here is we'll we'll uh, catch up here just shortly after this quick uh, break. Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom? Cause all I ever have. Redemption songs Redemption songs Emancipate Can you talk to us about Vincent? He is a uh, 61 year Oh my God. Man, that's, that touched me. That really touched me. Uh, I didn't really know how my fight affected others. And I never imagined that. I ain't, when I'm fighting this, I didn't think that it would affect all the people that it did. Mm-hmm. But this particular guy really touched me because he was really only one to really see, really leaving Angola mm-hmm. on my case. Uh, he was in a wheelchair. Guy mm-hmm. pushing him, had all kinds of stuff on him. I'm waiting to see my lawyer. So I'm sitting in, in the bullpen outside. You know, we got a little gate with lockers in the bullpen outside. Mm-hmm. So they open, the, they open the gate and he come in there. That's the way he go to the hospital. So you got to go to the hospital and all that before you, you know, you leave and everything. You got to go do your checkups and stuff like that. So we had a lot of, had, about 10, 15 people in the bullpen. So he coming through there. And the guy asked him, he said, Kush, he said, where you going? <laughs> Kush said, man, I'm going home. <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm not paying attention at this time. I'm just, you know, focused on my, you know, my situation, my lawyer and everything. Mm-hmm. How you how you did that, man? Tell me how you did that. He said, man, the Esteen case. Esteen case. Esteen mm. sitting right there, man. He said, why? So he turned the guy, pushed him. Man, turn this chair around, man. Let me see this guy, man. So coming to me, I step, I start walking towards him. All he's saying, man, he said, man, thank you, Esteem, for fighting, for not giving up, man. Thank you. I say, mm. 
I've been here such and such years, man. Never thought I was gonna ever go home. He said, he put his hand out, he grabbed, I put my hand and shake his hand. He grabbed, put it in here and tuck his head and like that and hold my own. And he started mm. crying, man. And tears just start flowing out of my eyes. And because mm. it, it really, I felt him. I mm. felt him from to my to my soul. I said, man, I said, just go out there and do do well, man. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, I will, I, I will, you know. I really tried to, I tried to find them on Facebook and everything. I can't find them right now, but I really, I sent word to somebody that might in contact mm-hmm. with them. So I'm trying to get in contact with them so I can really talk to them, you know, we, see what they're doing. We're going to make that happen for you. We're going to make that happen for you. That's, okay. that's the goal. All right. That's, that's beautiful. <laughs> we're saying it right now. We're going we're gonna to make that happen. What was, what was his name? Vincent Cushinella. Vincent Cushinella? Okay, yeah. so if everybody out there uh, listening, if if y'all have any info on him, I don't know, just reach out to us. Maybe we can get in the email. Y'all know the email, and you know, maybe we can get him get him situated because uh, it seems that God's been working through you your whole life, and I'm sure that He can probably do something. I mean, I think that if people are like, "What is God?" I think that moment that you had with Vincent that that would be God right there. That that's, that oh would, man, that's I like the way you sum that up right there. That's yeah, beautiful. I, it has to be. You know what I mean. <laughs> It was a magical moment. It was. It was. It was. It was mm-hmm. I really. I never forget it for the rest of my life. It, it really impacted me to the highest degree. The mm-hmm. um, guy. It was tears of joy. Mm-hmm. It was not no sadness. It's, he's yeah. got his gain his freedom when there was no freedom. He had life sentence. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I had another guy. I just saw. I just seen him recently in New Orleans a couple of days. Came to my cousin's restaurant. Talk. He came see me when I came home. Too. He came to my mom's house. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had three life sentences in my case, sent him home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, congratulations. That's good. Yeah, that's pretty it's, good. It's, it's beautiful, you know, to see that, to see that happen. But the, the the thing about it, though, I couldn't get out of my own case. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it goes sometimes, right? That's how it goes sometimes. What was it like when you, you went in at, in 2001, 2000, correct? Mm-hmm, 2001, okay. yeah. Now, what mm-hmm. was it like? This is my final question before we get into in, into some, some yeah. more upbeat things, uh, Jesse. Uh, what was it like going in at 2001 and then coming out at, in that 17, 18 year? Was it like a time machine for you? Like, what was that like going in technology where it was where it was at then to where it's at now and how are you adjusting now to this man, world that you got out man i'm still adjusting sir i'm still mm. adjusting it's mm. it's technology is this fast yeah just the simplest I'm, i had to learn the phone out here and that was that was a challenge and i'm still learning this phone so i just got the, i got comfortable with it and yeah, and I just I'm good where I'm at with it right now, you know. Yeah, that's all it is. <laughs> I see all the new tricks on that people do. I say, how you do that, man? Yeah, yeah. So but you I know just what? Don't have the time. <laughs> yeah, you signed you know? on. You didn't have any problems, so you're right. You're getting the gist of it. So that's I mean, right. I, I still have problems with it sometimes, and I mean, it's just because mm-hmm. it's constantly changing. You know what I mean? As, yeah, it's constantly changing. Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. But um, as for technology, I mean, when I when I come home. I mean, just the trip home, I have NBC Dateline following me all the way to my house. It took me, before we, before we go to my house, we go to McDonald's. They asked me what I want to eat. I said, McDonald's, man. I want. He said, why mm-hmm. McDonald's? I said, because I, I always love McDonald's French fries. I love their French fries. Oh, yeah, that's so, good. That's good. Right, let's go McDonald's. <laughs> but when I got to McDonald's, they got this where you can order your food in the aisle. Mm-hmm. Big old, I thought it was a robot. <laughs> I thought it was gonna roll or something. I'm serious because my mind is there now, you know. Oh, yeah, I see so much. I, I, I'm really flashed back to this George Jetsons thing, you know, mm-hmm. Terminator you know, and all that. Robocops. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. thinking, yeah, bro. Yeah, I'm thinking we there, you know. Yeah. That's, a, that's my mind 
is that, you know? And um, not only that, but I go to, I can't, I didn't really understand the urinals and stuff. Simple stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. But they laughed at me. They, they had a good time with me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm looking for pressing a button or whatnot. I said, man, this, all you got to do is walk off. It's going to flush on his own. I said, really? Uh-huh. Saying then with the hand, the, the sinks and all. I mean, that was, that was, that was challenging. That was different. <laughs> I really... I say, wow, time real um went by, you know. I'm catching up, I got a lot to catch up with. But so, um, so real quick before we move forward, because I, I always like to pre- treasure people's time. Do you have enough time? Cause we kind of went over. I, I know we said an good, hour. We good. You sure? We're good. We're gonna, uh, okay, let, we're let us know like, because we're gonna exhaust I'm, our remedies here. No, no, no. We we uh <laughs> we value people's time, so yeah, yeah. I come from that world. But but right. okay, just we're let good. us let us know when when honor, like, honor all right. Mm-hmm. All right. Something that I did want to say is that in your case, it's not often that people can hit that reset button, right? But you were given that opportunity to hit the reset button. Not only were you able to do that, but you're also giving back with the uh, nonprofit. Tell us a little bit about that with us, please. All right. The nonprofit, it really, I had this idea while, while in prison. I have an old guy, James Forrest, like my adopted pop. He's like 80, 80 plus years old, been there 40 something years, and he still claimed his he innocent. So I really, my heart went out to him. And we always talk about the word of God because he worked inside the chapel. I worked outside the chapel, keeping the, the grounds up. I'm doing grounds in there. Ain't that something? <laughs> but I'm um, keeping the grounds up. He loved the way I did the flowers every, every season. He loved it. It bloomed pretty. He, he's come out there and watched. He's an old guy. And my aunt um, got on his visit list. So he visited with her. I took him, I took him in. We took him as family. It kind of hurt to still see him there. Uh-huh. You know, and I know he's a, he's a book writer. He got the hard place is his book. It's published right now mm-hmm. called The Hard Place. Okay. But anyway, give us that information. Was that. Yeah, yeah. Give us the the, the name and, and how we can reach out if people want to make a donation or what have you. Yeah, my nonprofit is E and E Second Wind. We got it right here. <laughs> you see right. it? Very nice. Uh huh. <laughs> All right. E and E Second Wind. And okay. yes, I have a website page where you can do um, give donations at E and E Second Wind.com. That's my website. And, and all this we're gonna po- we're gonna post on the on the website, like your all your social media yes, stuff. Sir. And we'll we'll yes, tag you as well so that you can so that you can listen yeah. to it. This mm-hmm. is a fascinating story. And but either way, we'll let you know. We'll tag you okay. and, and have you come and awesome. oh I was gonna mention in Go your ahead. nonprofit, was there anything that you need that's more people can either donate, plies, what you're doing? Right now, this is what I'm doing right now. I always can use something, anything of mm-hmm. donation, money or I'm into I'm doing landscape with the nonprofit right now because mm-hmm. I'm into landscaping. I do that for free. Mm-hmm. Okay. No no charge to anybody. Mm-hmm. For the, I'm dealing with the senior citizens, disabled vets and single parent homes. I'm trying to give to them right now real mission. My real purpose is to help those men and women come home from prison with um transportation services, education and mental health services. You know, these things I think uh are paramount uh, to them to lower the recidivism rate mm-hmm. because I was fortunate when I came home to have parents that helped me to get to where I'm at today. And a lot of these people, they might have parents, but then the parents might not be in the position to do for them what they need to get done. Mm-hmm. You understand? So I'm letting my nonprofit organization to be that parent for them, you see, okay. to help them to take over what their parents can't do, we can do for you. Mm. You know, that's why I want, that's that's my that's my real mission right there, to, to lower the recidivism rate and to keep the streets safe for all people. That's Very what nice. I want to do. I want to get the community involved. Very yes, nice. sir. 
All right. So I think this next part, we were calling him every time we have a guest on. We used to call him rapid fire, but it just kind of turned into we just ask you a question and you just answer to the best of your ability. So Jesse, you want to start off first? Yeah. So my first question is, if a movie was made of your life, what genre would it be and who would play your life? Yeah, I would like to be uh, nonfiction. I don't think no other person played better than myself. Very nice. Okay. Okay. There's nobody know me like me. I like to play my own part. All right. If you are stranded on an island again by yourself, (laughs) what are three songs or three albums that you would have to take with you to listen on repeat for the rest of your life, whether it be songs or albums? Wow. Hmm. All I need is one oldies but goodies. I like oldies but goodies. Uh, Okay. Marvin Gaye or somebody to that nature, uh, something that put my spirit in, in the mood and it's relaxed. At the same mm-hmm. token, like I'm bad, Michael oh, yeah. Jackson. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. you know, 1999, Prince. Prince. Okay, okay. I got you. All mm-hmm. right. That, that, that'll do me right Those are there. all good. Those are all good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Ten boxes in no particular order that is your top boxers of all time. No particular order, right? No particular order. <laughs> That's I'm gotta say Roy Jones Jr. Okay. Um uh, Muhammad okay. Ali, uh Floyd Mayweather, Sugar Ray Leonard, okay, Roberto Duran, mm. Mike Tyson, of course, hard hitting Mike, Joe Frazier. Smoking. How many I have so far? <laughs> I think it's seven. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh Thomas Hitman Hearns, mm-hmm. Marvin Hagler, mm, man, and I have to put on um, Manny Pacquiao in there because he's he's left hand, he's southpaw like I am. No, you're left handed. I'm left handed too. There we go. Left handed too. <laughs> yeah. All three of us, we make up the three percent of the population right here. Wow, that's wow. <laughs> something. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got uh, how many how many kids do I got? I got one, two, three. I got four kids. And uh, my daughter's the only one left-handed. All my other kids are right-handed. So, wow. yeah, yeah. Wow. You got one. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I and my question, um, I always ask every guest that's on the show is, what does dragging the line mean to you? Dragging the line mean to me. It sounds like something to, well, I'm, this is my thinking. Yeah. No, there's no wrong answers. So. There's no wrong answer okay, at all. No wrong answer. Okay. Uh-huh. It's to drag a line, it's like you've been tired. You're tired. You've been through something rough. So you're just releasing. You're just getting through the day. You're getting through the end of the day and you're heading on home now to relax. Very nice. Well, let's see. So if and when it's your time to go into the pearly gates to finally visit with your Lord, with our Lord, what is it that you want to be known for when you leave this world? I've lost all I want to be known as a man after God's own heart. Nice. That's beautiful. I love it. I want to be known as. What I wanted to say is that, right, for those who are still locked up, you know, I think that they should should read your story because this is a story that there still is hope for everyone out there. So our goal is to, we have the platform, social media is really big, so... We'll get it out there best we can because this is a story that is just phenomenal. I just want to start a flame in your heart.